Good morning again, saints. It is wonderful to be with you this morning. And I want to thank those of you that are here with us this morning. I even see some young people that are here this morning. Thank you for being with us on your summer break. You get up and are here at 7 o'clock in the morning. I think that deserves an A+. So if you came today, you get an A+. If you're watching live from home, you get an A+. If you watch an hour later, you get an A-. minus. No, I'm just kidding. We're just excited to have you with us no matter what time of the day you end up watching this message. Essential is the title of our week's talks. Adventist education's relevant place in eschatology, in the end-time work of the church. On Monday, our title was Realigned Just in Time. Staying relevant to the church's end-time mission is a vertical priority. Tuesday, bags with holes. The glory of the latter can be greater than that of the former. And yesterday, the cross, the quality, the message. Three keys to success in the Adventist educational mission. And today, today is a companion of yesterday's message And I just want to share with you this morning before we get started that when Pastor Kelly asked me to speak on Adventist education, as I, after I had said yes to that, I began to feel the weight and responsibility of this calling. Because as I said before, at the very beginning of my talk and every subsequent day, I don't believe there has been a more relevant time for the existence of Adventist education than right now at this time in earth's history. We are living in the very end of this earth's history. And there is nothing more important than for every facet of our church's ministry to be completely aligned with what God would have it be. And so as I reflected on these messages and felt the weight of that, I just the burden of my heart was that I wanted to get it right. And the only way that that can ever happen is if Jesus does it. Because anything good that happens is because God did it. Anything bad that happens is because I did it. Because as John 15 clearly says, if we're not connected to the vine, we cannot do anything. So friends, I would ask you to continue to pray for us. We have our message today. And then of course we'll be, with, we'll be together one more time tomorrow where I'll be sharing personal testimony. And so I ask you to join me as we pray this morning. Father in heaven, Lord, I ask that your Holy Spirit would be poured out mightily today. Lord, I ask yet again that you would hide me behind the cross every moment, every minute. That only what you want to say will be said today, for we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Some of you that have been familiar with Adventist education over the years and also the ministry of the church are familiar with the term, the three-legged stool. Having some problems with my headset here. This is not exactly a stool, but it has three legs. 
And for those of you that are familiar with Adventist education, you have heard the term, the three-legged stool, used before. It represents the home, the church, and the school working together to educate holistically our children. And if you examine this particular stool, you will see that it has three legs, representative, of course, of the home, the church, and the school. Now, I'm not a physics professor anywhere close to that, but I will say that we're going to take a quick break. She's going to fix my mic for me. I'm going to keep talking. Sorry. This three-legged stool, even though I'm not a physics major, I know for certain that if you were missing one of these legs, this stool would fall over. Fair enough? It is critical for this stool to stand and bear something on top of it that it has three legs all functioning equally. Now, imagine with me for a moment if part of this, one of these legs was cut off. This stool would fall over. This particular stool is used to put plants on top of it. In order for this stool to be a good solid foundation, all three of these legs are critically important for that stool to be able to become a platform that something can be built upon it or stood, stand upon it. The same thing applies in what we're talking about with the home, the church, and the school. A vital, a vital collaboration. You see, the work of education involves the whole being. We've talked about that all week. It is the entire possibility of a human being in every facet of their life, both in this world and in the world to come. That's what our educational system is built to do, to educate the whole being. So therefore, it is so important that all influential environments operate from a like-minded philosophy. If there is incongruence, In any one of those three environments, the ability to holistically educate a child is going to be marginalized. And so the concept of the key three that we talked about yesterday, bringing young people to the foot of the cross, quality at all levels, and training young people in the message and mission of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, these concepts, I believe, and would propose and submit to you this morning, can be expanded to the home and the church environments, which can result in a deeper realization of the outcome goals of Adventist education. How do they work together? Well, I just talked about it. We can see the key three played out in these other environments. And if all of the three environments that are critical in raising up a child are operationally carrying forward the mission of the key three, these three principles that you see on your screen, we will even more so enhance the education that we are after with our children. So what does it look like? 
if we're talking about the home, and we're talking about in the home bringing students, young people, to the foot of the cross, what does it look like? First and foremost, we as parents, and I'm including myself, I have four children, as I've said before, we as parents must have our own walk with God. We must have a daily devotional life and find ourselves at the foot of the cross. I talked earlier, yesterday, about the interview process that we have with teachers, and we ask them about their devotional life because as a teacher, you cannot give away to your students something that you do not own yourself. Likewise, we as parents cannot demonstrate and model spirituality to our children unless we ourselves are drinking from the water of life, eating the bread of life, and finding ourselves daily at the foot of the cross. It is impossible we will be living the epitome of hypocrisy. And let me tell you something. For some reason, young people have an uncanny ability to spot hypocrisy and inconsistency. So we as parents must have, I must have as a parent, my own personal walk with God, my own relationship with God. And in the process of that experience, I then am equipped to model Jesus to my children. I can build relationships with my children. This is so critical because as we as parents build relationships with our children, we are representing Christ to them and how they can build a relationship with Jesus themselves. It is critical to have family worship. Corporately as a family, bringing our families to the foot of the cross. It's important to have spiritual conversations with our kids. How is your devotional life going? Do you have any questions? It's important to have spiritual conversations with our children, especially as we see the dismantling of the moral compass of our country. And lastly, we must protect the atmosphere in our homes. And I'm speaking specifically about entertainment choices. Oh, friends, it is so important for us as parents to make sure that we have an appropriate filter in place in our homes so that the entertainment that our children are exposed to is consistent with the values of the Scriptures and the spirit of prophecy. And I fear, because I see it played out in our schools, that so many of our young people are exposed to movies and television programs and gaming programs and musical choices that do not represent the value of the Bible and the spirit of prophecy. We hear in our schools conversations at lunch about the latest 
movies, the latest superhero movies. And in the process of our, our children viewing this kind of material, they are seeing the devil's attempt to substitute a fake superhero for the true superhero. Captain America cannot come anywhere close to the captain of the host of Israel. And if our young people are inundated with this kind of entertainment and the, the blitz and the glitz of the screen and the graphics and all of these things going on, the ability for them to sit down and read the Word of God is going to be tremendously marginalized and viewed as boring, when yet there is nothing more thrilling, exhilarating, and exciting to have a spiritual truth come to the heart in reading the Word of God. Just recently in the news, there were two boys that purposefully caused themselves to be bit by a poisonous spider. Ended up in the hospital, I believe. And the reason behind their motivation was because they wanted to have the superpowers that Spider-Man has. And so they subjected themselves to the venom, I believe it was a black widow, in order to become like Superman. Friends, in order to become like Spider-Man. Friends, these movies, these television shows are becoming, in the minds of our children, reality to them. There are certain types of things where young people will actually try to live out in real life the concepts of these superheroes or Star Wars or all of these other things that are, that are using and mimicking supernatural power, spiritualism, and all of these things that, that we unfortunately many times view as innocent entertainment and yet are authored and illustrated by the devil who has an alternate plan in bringing our young people to a point of viewing this. Oh, friends, sometimes it is challenging for us in Adventist education to propagate the mission of the Bible and the spirit of prophecy when in some instances the home is not reflecting the values of the church. I say this with humility and love because it also goes both ways. Sometimes it is challenging if a family also feels that the school is not representing the values that they are trying to propagate to their children in the home. We must be so careful also, and I'm sidebarring a little bit, but we, we should also be careful in our schools relative to the entertainment that we would show our children, the literature that we would put in front of our children in, in a curricular standpoint. If it does not follow the principle of Philippians 4.8, it shouldn't be part of our curriculum. Can you say amen? And we as teachers sometimes have to use books that may have things in them that are not consistent with our values. 
We need to, as Seventh-day Adventist teachers, steer around those things. Tear them out of the book. If they are not consistent with the spirit of prophecy. Ellen White has tremendous things to say about literary choice. And we need to be so careful that we're following that because if we're not, we are planting seeds of permission in the minds of young people that they will then take with them and use as a permission card to engage in other forms of entertainment that they feel have been deemed appropriate because a teacher or a school didn't view it as inappropriate and actually assigned it as part of the curriculum. But back to the home. We must protect the atmosphere in our homes for our young people. There's not really much good on television today. Society is composed of families, Ellen White says in Adventist Home, page 15, and is what the heads of families make it. Out of the heart are the issues of life, and the heart of the community, of the church, and of the nation is the household. Why do you think our nation is coming apart at the seams? Why do you think society is breaking down and eroding away at such a fast pace? Because the unit of the home, which is the, the very breadbasket of our society, is falling apart and being eroded because the devil knows there is nothing more powerful than the influence of the home. And so he attacks it. The well-being of our society, the success of the church, the prosperity of the nation depend upon home influences. The elevation or deterioration of the future of society will be determined by the manners and morals of the youth growing up around us. As the youth are educated and as their characters are molded in their childhood to virtuous habits, self-control, and temperance, so will their influence be upon society. If they are left unenlightened and uncontrolled, and as the result become self-willed, intemperate, in appetite and passion, so will be their future influence in molding society. Are you listening, friends? The company which the young now keep, the habits they now form, and the principles they now adopt are the index to the state of society for years to come. We could just end right there. How do we bring young people to the foot of the cross in our churches? Notice what Ellen White says relative to sermons. In the Voice and Speech and Song, page 337, the science of salvation is to be the burden of every sermon. The theme of every song. Let it be poured forth in every supplication. Let nothing be brought into the preaching of the word to supplement Christ, the word and power of God. Let his name, the only name given under heaven whereby we may be saved, be exalted in every discourse. And from Sabbath to Sabbath, let the trumpet of the watchman give a certain sound. Christ is the science and eloquence of the gospel. And his ministers are to hold forth the word of life, presenting hope to the penitent, hope to the penitent, peace to the troubled and desponding, and grace and completeness and strength to the believing. Can you say amen? 
And for our young people who are coming into our church, they have so many questions. As a chaplain and a therapist, working with young people at Great Lakes Adventist Academy, I can tell you that for a young person, especially at that age, they are doing everything they can to figure out who they are. And the devil wants to do everything that he can to trip them up, to cause them to make mistakes, because then they will feel like that is now going to define who they are. And they desperately need to come to church and hear sermons and hear hope and forgiveness and the ability for them to get back up and have Jesus define who they are, not their mistakes define who they are. And to be transformed and to form new habits and to form new perspectives on what God is calling them to be and the talents that he has embedded in them that he wants to bring forth to an amazing harvest of souls for the kingdom. And so it is so important for us when we present from the pulpit that our messages are easy to be understood, simplistic in their form, and something that is convicting the heart. It's important that our churches have friendly and welcoming faces to our young people, no matter how they look. I will tell you, when I think about my teenage years and my experience in the Holly Seventh-day Adventist Church, I think about Pastor Dan Tower and how friendly he was to me, how kind he was to me, and how welcoming he was to me as a pastor. I look back on many awesome pastors in my experience. But as a teenager, as a young man growing up, when I think about who my teenage pastor was, I think fondly as I remember Pastor Dan Tower. It is so important, and I see this happening still today, praise God. Pastors who have just a a demeanor of care. It doesn't mean that you have to be able to sit down and have some kind of lengthy conversation where you just really can relate really well with a young person. It's, it's about being genuine. It's about showing young people that you care. Whether you're the pastor, the deacon, the deaconess, all of those areas are so vitally important. You have no idea. You'll hear a little bit about it tomorrow. You have no idea how powerful the impact is of a greeter at church. And how just the posture of the face, you know 92% of communication is body language? And young people, because they're, they're cueing off of their fellow uh, teenagers to, to define where they're fitting in, they are so acute with picking up body language. And if we as a church can make sure that when a young person walks into the doors of our church, we, by our smiles, by our love to them, by our welcoming to them, are bringing them to the foot of the cross, we will say dividends that will root them deeply in their desire to be a member of our church and to stick with it. If you see something of concern regarding a young person, pray for them. Don't talk about them. Things get around. View and implement Sabbath school programming as evangelistic and frequently invite children to accept Christ as their Savior. I'm telling you, I am so incredibly blessed to have my children in the Lansing Sabbath school program. Do you know that during COVID, our kindergarten teacher, even though they've been having Sabbath schools online, every week has sent the lesson 
and a personal note to my son saying how much she misses him, hope he's doing well. I cannot tell you how much I appreciate that as a parent. As Christ did, meet children where they are and demonstrate kindness and love and show them how to follow Jesus. Did you get the last part? Friends, it's not just showing them Jesus, but it's showing them a way to live differently too. Because a lot of, people have, a lot of young people have pain and they have regret and they have burdens that they carry on their hearts. And it's not so much about showing them, just saying, well, here's Jesus. It's also showing them how Jesus can transform them and move them out of that which has been hurting them. We've got to build relationships with our young people so that we have the change to spend and have those hard conversations with them. It's not just enough to be nice to them and greet them. We need to build relationships with them so when the Holy Spirit provides that divine appointment, we can challenge them that God can give them the power to live differently. At the foot of the cross in our schools, I talked about this yesterday, but you know, as an educator, if you want to get something in people's minds, you do it again, right? Drill, drill, drill. At the foot of the cross in our schools, it's more than Bible class and worship. We have to intentionally in the way that we uh, philosophically view the purpose and function of our schools, make sure that they are evangelism centers. Every day our teachers must have a burden for the souls of their student. Each day a student walks the halls of our schools, they should have a clear knowledge that Jesus loves them and be challenged to love him back. Our schools must be safe places for children where they can blossom and grow. Teachers are the conduit and model the love of Christ each day to their students. Notice this quote. Most earnest attention must be given to the education will, which will impart a knowledge of salvation and will conform the life and character to the divine similitude. It is the love of God, the purity of soul, woven into the life like threads of gold that is of true worth. The height of man may thus reach has not been fully realized. Testimonies, volume 6, page 127. How do we have quality in our homes? You might be saying, the key three? Quality at all levels? How does that apply in our homes? Oh, friends, we want our young people to be wonderful and amazing, respectable citizens of this world, preparing them to be citizens of the world to come. We've got to teach our children respect. When an adult talks to you, look at them. Respond appropriately. We need to intentionally disciple and train our young people on the appropriate behaviors in the home, the church, the school, and in public. We need to teach our young people to respect other people. Sometimes young people can get into a habit of, of mocking other people or making fun of people or elderly or somebody that makes a mistake or trips up and do those kinds of things. We need to help teach our young people about what it means to be respectful of other people, to, to not judge people, and, and to put ourselves in that person's position if we can. Punctuality. I'll tell you what, I'm really impressed when I have an interview and that teacher shows up five minutes early, ten minutes early. It impresses me. Work ethic, responsibility, thoughtfulness, personal representation, cleanliness, dress, deportment, speaking to adults. All of these things are the quality pieces that we as parents are responsible for in the homes. 
How do we have quality in our churches? Well, the same applies, what I talked to you about yesterday, relative to the schools, the same thing applies in our churches. We want to have quality at all levels too, amen? Our Sabbath schools should be the most professionally run programs in the entire church. They should be organized, planned for, dedicated. Our young people are our greatest treasures. By the way, if Jesus doesn't come, which he will, but imagine if Jesus doesn't come for 20, 30 years, which I doubt, we're going to move off the scene. And who's going to replace us? Our kids. So there's nothing more important in the ministry of a church than the Sabbath school programs. Worship service is organized. I see off on the side here in the back room, there's a detailed list of instructions of how to come out into the to the, to the platform and the pulpit and who sits where and all these different things because we want to demonstrate not a works, I'm doing this and look at me, but we want to demonstrate a quality that's representative of how we feel about our Lord. Quality in our schools, we talked about that too. Professionalism in our educators, proper leadership training, excellent customer service and communication, excellent academic instruction, hiring standards that focus on the spiritual qualities as the highest priority, and of course, accountability. How do we train our young people in the message and the mission in our homes? You know, if you remember from yesterday, we want to bring our young people to the foot of the cross And we want to also have a practical application of the theoretical information we talk about when it comes to spiritual truth. The chemistry class always has a laboratory because if all you did was talk about the theoretical elements of chemistry and never got the kids into the lab with the beakers, you will never confirm the theory that you're telling them about chemistry. The same applies in every facet of our three-legged stool. We have to have a mission-focused mindset that we're propagating to our children. The home supports the church in evangelism efforts. When your church has an evangelistic um, effort, as it was called years and years ago, we should be there and bring our children to help. Whether it's music, greeting, doesn't matter what it is. We need to have them be involved. Children need to know and understand the gospel and feel comfortable giving a testimony for the faith that is within them. Play through scenarios with your kids. If you walked up on the street and somebody said this to you or asked a question or your friend said this, play through the scenarios with your children about what they would say, how they would respond. You want, we want our children to feel comfortable sharing the distinctive fundamental beliefs of our church that are rooted in the gospel of Jesus Christ in a relationship with him. Can you say amen? Our churches can participate in training young people as well. It's not just the school. It's not just the home. Young people need to feel that they are a vital part of the evangelism of the local church. Get them involved. As appropriate, they should be included in all facets of evangelism. Yes, even the planning, the pre-meetings, the involvement in the series or in the effort that's happening. And in the follow-up, if it's possible, it would be important for them to be involved in church offices like junior deacons and deaconesses, but doing more than just helping on communion Sabbath, being mentored, because at some point, those dear children are going to step into those positions of responsibility. And if they do not feel a sense of ownership as a young person, who is to say that is going to naturally convert into ownership as an adult? 
And as we train our children in the message and the mission of our church and our schools, we have to remember the third angel's message, the great testing truth for this time is to be taught in our institutions. God designs that through them this special warning shall be given and bright beams of light shall shine to the world. Time is short. Service and outreach should be a culture and not just an event. Our school program should reflect the priorities by which they were created. Our students cannot validate a theoretical understanding of Christianity without a practical lab to test it in. Service and outreach should be the, one of the greatest priorities that we have in our schools because, as I said yesterday, it is necessary for a child's complete education that they be involved in missionary work. If we're not implementing this as a consistent part of our curriculum, we are not completely educating our children. And I don't know about you, but I want my kids, not just my immediate kids, but all of these some 1,500 students in the Michigan Conference to have a complete education. And I know you do as well, no matter where you're watching from, if it's outside of Michigan. You know, as we look at the three-legged stool, it reminds me of the three-legged race. In order for this stool to stand on its own, it has to have three legs. Listen to this. It has to have three legs that are capable of bearing the same weight. Do you understand what I mean by that? Each of these legs if they're not bearing the same, or they're not capable, rather, of bearing the same weight, the integrity of this stool's ability to bear weight is compromised. You agree with that? So each one of these three legs is equally important in the raising up of a child. And no matter what environment we find ourselves in, we play a role in that. Whether you're a pastor, whether you're a teacher, whether you're a parent, whether you're a deacon, whether you're a deaconess, doesn't matter. We all play a role. You are, as an adult in the Seventh-day Adventist Church, a role model. You are. And when we think about the three-legged stool, it makes me think about a three-legged race. But you know what's so interesting about a three-legged race? You know, you take the burlap bag and you partner up with someone and, you know, you put your leg in and then they're over here and they, you know, they put their leg in. And then they both hold each side of the bag and then somebody blows a whistle or says go and, and everybody starts running. And you've got to keep this leg you know, to get these two legs together because they're kind of functioning like one leg. But what's so interesting to me is we call this a three-legged race. But really, it's a four-legged race because you still have four legs. <laughs> You're still using four legs. And friends, the point is this. We cannot ever forget that in this race of life, that Paul talks about in the New Testament. In this race of life that we are all journeying on, there's a fourth leg. 
it's not just a three-legged race. There's really four legs. It's not just a three-legged stool, is it? If Jesus is along with us. There were three Hebrews that were thrown into the fiery furnace. But when Nebuchadnezzar looked into that furnace, he said, I see a fourth. And it looks like the Son of God, because, beloved, it was. And when we journey through this life as a church, coming up to the end of time, we can know that in the three-legged race, we have a Savior who's with us, and it's really four legs. We can know that, yes, it's a three-legged stool, the home, the church, and the school working together. But if we ask Jesus, he will join us and put a fourth leg in. If we are in the fiery furnace of the end of time, no, it is not just three. It is four because Jesus Christ is with us in the midst of us, and the fire cannot touch us. Can you say amen? So friends, God is calling us to higher ground, but he will help us because without him, we can do nothing, but with him, we can do all things. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, thank you for being that fourth leg both in the race and on the stool. Thank you for being that fourth person in the fiery furnace of life that we face each and every day. Lord, if you are with us, the devil cannot stand against us because you have won the victory. It is complete in you. And we ask, Lord, that you would put up a standard against Satan's efforts. You've promised you'll do that in your word. And in the name of Jesus, only in his name, we come boldly to the throne of grace, humbly, hiding behind the cross, behind the blood of Jesus. But as you've asked us to, we come boldly, Lord, because we need you to put up a standard against Satan's efforts to erode our homes to erode our church, our churches. And Lord, the work that Satan is trying to do to erode our schools. Lord, help us. Thank you for your love for us, for your forgiveness for us. You are so amazing. And every day with you can be a new start. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.